Welcome to In That Case. My name's Joel Townsend, and this is my podcast about important pieces of public interest litigation which have shaped Australian life. You can find previous episodes of the podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts or at the website at www.inthatcasepodcast.com. Please uh, send me any comments or questions you might have, any ideas for future episodes. I'd be really keen to hear. I want to talk today about McGuinty and Western Australia. This is a case that was brought in 1995 by some members of the Western Australian Parliament. It was brought in the High Court by plaintiffs including Jim McGuinty, who went on to become Attorney General of Western Australia, and I was lucky enough to talk to him for this podcast. Now, the situation in WA was that the electoral system established in state electoral laws and in the constitution set out that there were metropolitan electorates, which needed to be of roughly the same size, and then electorates in the rest of the state, which needed to be roughly the same size. And by the 1993 election, that meant that there was a variance of up to something like 300% between the size of uh, some of those remote regional electorates and metropolitan electorates. So there was a vast disparity in voting power and this had long been of concern to the Labor Party in particular because it had given them uh, some real difficulties in obtaining power and it was viewed by many people as contrary to principles of equality of democratic representation. So there'd long been concern about this, but in 1995, a challenge was brought, and it was brought in the High Court on the back of some decisions made by the court in the early 1990s, which implied a great deal in the way of protections of democratic power and indeed protections of freedom of speech from the principle of representative democracy in the Australian Constitution. And in McGuinty and WA, uh, Jim McGuinty and his fellow plaintiffs sought to argue that that implied principle of representative democracy meant that this vast disparity in voting power in WA electorates had to be invalid, that there was an implied limitation on the power of the states to legislate for this kind of scheme. And I started by asking him about his passion on this issue. General issues of equality and inequality have always been at the heart of uh, why I went into public life and uh, I tried to implement uh, a range of equality-based legislation uh, during my time as the Attorney General in Western Australia. It was always a passion. It just struck me as being fundamentally wrong to, in the same way as denying women the vote, denying Aboriginal people the vote, uh, interfering with the free exercise of the franchise by vote waiting was, to my mind, a complete corruption of the whole notion of representative democracy. And I set out to change that in both houses of the West Australian Parliament, uh, only succeeded in the Legislative Assembly. But then again, that's the most important one. That's the, the people's house where the government is formed. And the, in my view, the unrepresentative swill in the upper house 
could wait another day. Now, they're still waiting uh, for uh, decent reform and electoral equality in the West Australian Legislative Council. Well, the, the case for electoral equality in Western Australia goes back to the 1890s when the Labor Party adopted, uh, in those days, one man, one vote as their uh, policy. It uh, remained the longest unfulfilled policy on the Labor Party platform until we were able to substantially achieve electoral equality in 2005 in Western Australia. So the inequality issue has been there forever, um, and it still remains there today in the State Legislative Council. That's the last bastion of electoral inequality in Australia. Electoral malapportionment, uh, or rural vote waiting, has been a feature of uh, most Australian parliaments over the years. Um, bit by bit, it was removed. Don Dunstan led a major campaign in South Australia in, I think it was the 1970s. Um, in Queensland, Joe Bielke-Peterson used to boast that he could win a state election with 19% of the vote. Um, so Queensland was the last state to reform and bring themselves into equality um, prior to Western Australia. So uh, a lot of what was existing as inequality and quite often really gross measures of inequality. Um, for instance, currently in the West Australian Legislative Council, the measure of uh, some people's vote is seven times more than another person's vote. Now, that cannot be said to be an election uh, where representatives are chosen by the people as the Constitution requires. So what we've got here is a, uh, a system which, uh, throughout the Australian democracies, bit by bit, they came in line with the notion of one, one vote, one value. Western Australia was the last state to do it and still hasn't completely done it. But each of the other states progressively moved towards equality over the years. Now, why that was different in Western Australia might well have something to do with the vast land masses uh, involved, but I think it had a lot more to do with perceptions on the conservative side of politics that they had a lot to gain from rorting the system uh, by ensuring that people in the more conservative country parts of the state... Uh, were able to elect more representatives than their numbers would dictate. The case was heard by a Sixth Justice High Court and ultimately Jim McGinty and his fellow plaintiffs were unsuccessful in their challenge. Justices Tui and Gordon dissented and they would have held that the West Australian laws were invalid. But I was struck when I was reading this case in context about the fact that it had been preceded by a number of decisions in which the High Court had articulated this principle of freedom of speech as an essential component of representative democracy and therefore impliedly protected by the Commonwealth Constitution and cases which followed it, which said that that same principle of representative democracy uh, was influential in determining uh, the limits of Commonwealth electoral laws and the degree to which the Commonwealth could limit restrictions on the franchise. And I spoke to Jim McGinty a little about that. 
Yes, it's it's interesting to see um, your case situated between uh, those cases on the implied freedom of political communication, uh, which were successful largely, or or at least um, successful in the sense that as a whole, they saw the articulation of this new principle, this new implication of uh, that implied freedom. Uh, Then your case, in which um, you're unsuccessful in the push for one vote, one value, and then um, subsequently in cases like Roach, uh, a willingness to read some requirements into the constitution and electoral laws which were in favour of expanding the franchise in in the case of Roach to prisoners so it, in in a sense it was the it was the um it was the one sort of low point in that um sequence of events look i think that's right uh, i had the impression when i went um to canberra to sit in for the the hearing um that there had been essentially a policy decision made by the justices of the High Court that it was about time they stopped the spread of this new implied um, freedom or the implications arising out of representative democracy and the structure of it being provided in the Constitution because I think the justices were a little concerned about where it might lead to next. But if they're going to deal with uh, voting rights... um, as being implied in the Constitution when the Constitution is otherwise silent on it, but deriving from the structure of representative democracy, the right to talk about it, um, uh, the freedom of political communication, but not the the way in which some people's votes are bastardised and corrupted. Uh, I just find that to be a very strange view of uh, a rational justice system, certainly a Uh, not one based in any sense in fairness or equity. I I basically looking at the uh, judgments uh, around the principle of representative democracy uh, developed the the idea of a high court challenge to the West Australian electoral laws. Uh, David Bennett very kindly agreed to appear pro bono for us in the presentation of the argument to the court. and, uh, but I, I remained very involved in the preparation of the background materials, the submission, the written submissions and the like. Uh, and all the while uh, you were in the lower house of the WA Parliament and, and, um, and doing um, that job as well. So it must have been a very busy time. Uh, when you're in opposition in Parliament, you're always looking for useful things to uh, fill your time. When you're in government, of course, it is a very, very busy time. But uh, when you're in opposition, I thought this was a creative and useful use of my time to uh, be able to prepare the, the High Court challenge. Uh, just a pity we didn't win. The Labor Party had, in over the decades, brought in electoral reform legislation Every one of those which sought to achieve electoral equality was defeated by the Conservative upper house. So when you had a Labor government in power in the lower house, it was always frustrated by the um, malapportionment which elected a majority of Conservatives to the Legislative Council. So we had pretty much given up any hope of trying to achieve electoral equality through the parliamentary process. And then along came a series of High Court decisions uh, relating to representative democracy and the implied freedom of political communication. Cases of uh, Longy, ACT, TV, 
uh, and others, all opened up the prospect that, uh, like in the American uh, judicial system and the American Constitution, that the requirement that people be chosen directly by, uh, legislators be chosen directly by the people, uh, might give us some hope of achieving through the judicial system what we'd failed for a very long period of time to achieve through the parliamentary system because those people in the parliamentary system had the most to lose, always voted against it, and they were always in a minority because of the corrupt electoral system that was in place. So we prepared our case, took it to the High Court, and unfortunately uh, there was a change in personnel in the court, um, and we, we lost 4-2. Uh, it was unfortunate because the High Court had... Uh, implied into the Constitution the right of freedom of political communication, in other words, uh, free speech about political matters, the right to vote, um, and we thought it was only a logical extension to say that the a fair electoral system was as much a part of a constitutional requirement which spoke about electing people to the Parliament. Uh, the High Court didn't agree with us, unfortunately, and uh, consequently we lost. The campaign for electoral equality in WA was not over and Jim McGinty spoke to me a little about the campaign for legislative change which ultimately met with success at least in respect of the lower house in the WA parliament. If one were to look back in history at uh, in England at the rotten boroughs, um, the gerrymandering in America, uh, the malapportionment in Australia... They're all means by which the electoral system is not free and fair. Uh, it's, there, it seeks to impose limits on the electoral system which uh, cannot be said to be representative democracy, cannot be said to be the election uh, by the people, directly by the people. So anyway, we thought we had a good argument there, uh, but we didn't succeed. The delightful irony in all of this was that uh, subsequently we managed to, uh, as a result of getting the numbers together through the parliamentary process, we managed to get one vote, one value written into the statute books in Western Australia in respect of the Legislative Assembly um, uh, during that same period of time in the immediate aftermath of the uh, unsuccessful High Court case. So what we always thought was impossible, that is a parliamentary uh, resolution of this issue um, ultimately transpired after we failed to achieve it through the judicial process. Yes, there was a, a series of um, uh, bills, uh, one founded in the Supreme Court. We'd been to the High Court pr prior to that, but then eventually we managed to get the votes of uh, a number of Upper House members who we previously didn't think was possible and uh, the legislation was passed. We took the view that in a state as vast as Western Australia that um, we should follow the Queensland uh, idea of saying that for those small number of extremely vast seats, and by that we mean seats that had a geographical area greater than half a million square kilometres, uh, that there could be some, some minor allowance for... Um, 
such vast areas. Now, that's a departure from the principle. Uh, I would have preferred to have seen it otherwise, but I think it was the reality of what we were facing in the context of Western Australia's geography. It's, it is interesting, just reading through the judgments of the High Court, that there does seem to be some value placed uh, by some of the justices, including the uh, Justice Tui, who was, who was for you, who was in the minority, on the particular needs of uh, people in remote electorates and the need for them to have um, some uh, voice that would be heard in parliamentary politics. It's interesting that even in those justices who were on your side, there was um, perhaps um, something of a recognition that a system such as has been instituted in WA uh, could be justified. Yes, I, I think that's a fair comment. Um, although I, th I think the American Supreme Court um, got it right. And the Americans are particularly relevant to Australia because their constitution is almost exactly the same words as ours. Uh, their political structures with a House of Representatives and a Senate, uh, their representative government is very similar to, to our own. And in the, the landmark uh, American Supreme Court case, Reynolds and Sims, uh, in 1964, Chief Justice Warren said this, that the right to vote freely for the candidate of one's choice is of the essence of a democratic society and any restrictions on that right strike at the heart of representative government. And he went on to say that legislators represent people, not trees or acres. Legislators are elected by voters, not farms or cities or economic interests. The right to elect legislators in a free and unimpaired fashion is a bedrock of our political system. So we're talking there about the same, a very similar system one on which the Australian system was in fact based, um, and that was the view of the American Supreme Court. And now, if that was applied here in Australia, of course, we would have won our case back in the uh, uh, 1990s, uh, achieving one, one person, one vote, as they, they call it in the States. But uh, uh, unfortunately, the High Court decided not to follow the American jurisprudence on um, an identical subject matter. Jim McGinty spoke to me about the current state of electoral equality in Australia, both at state and at Commonwealth level, and reflected on his involvement in the case of McGinty and Western Australia and in the campaign overall for WA electoral equality. You talked briefly about the position in the US, and obviously that's a, a jurisdiction where there's a huge problem with gerrymandering, uh, arguably significant problems with the uh, inequality in, in racial voting power and the way in which that's used in quite pernicious ways. My sense is that um, in terms of one vote, one value and in terms of the distribution of electorates, we have a, a reasonably impartial system here. Is that, is that your view? Uh, we, we do, with one exception, and that's the uh, upper house of the West Australian Parliament, and it was not reformed. I tried to uh, bring about one vote, one value in the Legislative Council because 
in every parliament, upper and lower house, in every state, territory and Commonwealth in Australia, one vote, one value is the guiding democratic principle, except in the West Australian upper house, where you can have these sorts of extremes, that at the last state election, 7,000 voters in the mining and pastoral region in Western Australia elected one upper house member, 49,000 voters in the South Metropolitan Region elected one member. So that was a, a seven-to-one uh, disparity. In other words, if you lived in the mining and pastoral region, your vote was worth seven times that of someone who lived in the metropolitan area. Now, that is just not right, and it remains a challenge to make those changes. At the, the West Australian election last year in 2017, the... Labor Party won in a landslide in the lower house, but didn't even come close uh, because the Labor Party, regardless of the popular vote, can never win an election in the Legislative Council. Now, that's not a democratic electoral system where, regardless of how many votes you get, you can never win a majority of seats. So that remains the great challenge for legislators and maybe judges as well, um, if they were interested in overruling McGuinty and uh, bringing a bit of common sense into uh, what is representative democracy and what are its key elements. And I think uh, gerrymandering, malapportionment should not be part of that. And in the same way that in dozens of cases, the American Supreme Court has struck down uh, redistricting proposals from various states uh, because they offended the, the one vote, one value principle, the same law should apply in Australia. I'm tempted to ask you about your view of um, the Senate and, and and the election of senators representing states. Is there, do you have a parallel view there that that that, that ultimately is uh, uh, unfair in terms of the distribution of of um, the uh, power of the vote across the country? Look, um, it was arrived at as part of the Federation Compromise, and everyone knew exactly what they were doing. They didn't have a pretense uh, that senators would represent people. Uh, senators represent states, um, and that was necessary to get all the colonies together to uh, do it. By contemporary standards, uh, Paul Keating was right when he referred to them as unrepresentative swill, because they don't form part of representative government, um, as we would understand it today. But nonetheless, it's written into our constitution, as it is into the American constitution in almost identical terms. Uh, as being the structure that was uh, the political compromise that gave rise to the Commonwealth of Australia. Uh, I can live with something like that, but it makes no pretense at representing people, and neither should it. It's most probably a bit more like the, uh, uh, the origins of the House of Lords in England. It didn't purport to represent anything other than the aristocracy, so it wasn't a democratic uh, organisation. The Senate is not and uh, doesn't pretend to be. Oh, look, I look back on uh, the whole momentum towards electoral equality with uh, considerable pride in the totality of what was achieved. We won some parts, not others. Um, uh, we lost in the High Court, but we won in the Parliament. So I, I look back at the momentum that the High Court challenge gave to the whole question of electoral reform and to electoral equality and I think that was a major achievement. I certainly regard it of my 
19 years in public life in Western Australia in the Parliament as my greatest achievement uh, in achieving one vote, one value in the Legislative Assembly. Um, and the High Court challenge was part of that. The thinking and the rigour and the publicity that surrounded that was instrumental in the ultimate success that we had through the Parliament itself. Thanks for joining me on In That Case. I hope you've enjoyed hearing a little about the case of McGinty and WA, a really important case in the history of Australian constitutional law as it applies to state electoral systems. Uh, please leave any comments you'd like on the website at www.inthatcasepodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts or get in touch with me via Twitter to provide me with your feedback. I'm at, at Townsend Joel C. Thanks again for joining me and I look forward to talking to you again on the next episode of In That Case. Mm-hmm.